about the strength of the dollar right now. I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Our economy is strong as hell. Inflation is worldwide. It's worse off everywhere else than it is in the United States. So the problem is the lack of economic growth and sound policy in other countries, not so much ours. broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and we're getting together on the fabulous, wonderful date of October the 18th, 2022. Uh, that, of course, is for the benefit of those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast and uh, for those of you who may be a few days behind on your podcast listening. Uh, that way, uh, it makes more sense in case uh, this story that I'm going to start off with has become old news to you. Uh, I'm going to start with the fact that a Virginia grand jury has decided that Igor Danchenko is indeed not guilty of four separate counts of lying to the FBI. 
Now, if you're wondering why the name Igor Danchenko sounds familiar, but it's not quite clicking, he happens to be the key primary source of the information that was compiled in the so-called Steele dossier. You remember that phony, fake dirt that was pooled together to make former President Donald Trump look terrible? The, the excuse that was given to allow spying on the Trump campaign and then uh, continue spying on the Trump presidency? And then the creation of the dossier utilized to open the case file. Uh, therefore, the case file being opened used an excuse to go tell then-President Donald Trump that the case file existed, which was then the excuse to turn around and report it to the media. Well, you know, leak it to the media. At any rate, the verdict in question, it came just one day. One day of deliberations when this verdict was pulled together. And you're probably going to hear more and more about this over the course of the next few days to the point that it may actually already be old news to you by the time you're hearing this if you're a few days behind on your podcast listening. Because the left is going to take this as a full-on vindication that the whole Durham investigation is unfounded, unworthy, and useless. Sadly, uh, it is going to be used that way, and some people are going to buy into it. Now, if you'll recall, Special Counsel John Durham was tasked with finding the origins of the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. The Steele dossier, which contained a lot of derogatory information on Trump, was never corroborated just simply couldn't be. It was put together by the former British spy Christopher Steele, hence the name Steele Dossier, and it was put together for operatives of the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. You remember that from back in 2016, right? It was then passed on to the FBI once it became useless to the campaign. In the closing arguments that happened just this past Monday, uh, during indicated that he believed that the FBI had bungled the probe from the very beginning. A probe that literally hamstrung Donald Trump and the full Trump administration for nearly three years. But he also made the point that Danchenko's lies had played a role in that. Danchenko initially faced five counts of making false statements to the FBI. One of those was dismissed by the court and now the jury has acquitted him of the other four. Now, some of the things that are noteworthy, the trial itself, it did reveal a number of revelations about the FBI and its investigation into the uh, now pretty well-documented false claims of the Trump campaign coordinating with the Russian agents and all this wonderful stuff that, of course, we've been told over and over again by certain members of the mainstream legacy media and uh, Hillary Clinton, of course, as well. It revealed things like uh, the fact that the FBI offered Christopher Steele a million dollars if he could just corroborate this compilation of fabrications. You know, you got some lies here, you got some rumors there. If you can come up with any evidence that supports any of this being true, we'll give you, wait for it, uh, Dr. Evil style, 
one million dollars. Now the ex-British spy, he never claimed that reward because he wasn't able to do it. All the information that was in the dossier, it could not be corroborated because, hey, let's face it, boys and girls, the general likelihood here, it's just not true. Made up totally from the beginning. If you're just going to make up crazy stuff, eh, it's kind of hard to come up with proof. Durham, of course, was especially critical of the FBI during the closing remarks in court. Uh, he made some of his last public comments before the report in regards to this, and he's got every right to be upset with the FBI. All America does. We're not just talking about the things we've seen in the last few days, but we're talking about things that at that point in time were unprecedented. Opening an investigation of this nature against a sitting president, actually opening the investigation while he was still just campaigning. It's, it's mind-boggling, but uh, here's the thing. The Durham investigation, it's not over. It's not complete. There will be still further efforts to hold people accountable. I, I have trouble imagining that this jury in Virginia, they're not politically swayed. I have a feeling that these are people that wanted to believe the dossier, and they don't care that everything was facilitated and based on a lie. In their minds, Orange Man is bad. That doesn't mean that the rest of the attempts to hold people accountable are going to fail. So while I, of course, have been in that zone of I'll believe accountability has been established when I see it, I do still want to be optimistic. And I want you to be optimistic, too. So don't give up on it just yet. Don't let yourself fall victim to all the negativity of just knowing that the likelihood is so low. Let's remember, we've got a republic to say, boys and girls, and at least John Durham is trying. Let's move from there. Now, much more important story at the moment. There's, there's this really big story brewing over at Boston University. It's kind of scary. Actually, it's very scary. Can you guess where a potential scandal occurred based on the following clues? A U.S. government-funded lab, potentially unauthorized experiments creating deadly hybrid COVID strains, denial of gain-of-function research, ties to EcoHealth Alliance, Cries of misinformation. Now, if that story sounds like something that you would immediately point to a certain laboratory in Wuhan, China, I, nobody's going to blame you for thinking that. Except this particular story I'm talking about, it's not the lab in Wuhan. It allegedly, you know, trying to 
have more journalistic integrity than the people that claim to be journalists. It allegedly happened right here in the United States, specifically in Boston, Massachusetts, within the last year, no less. This past Friday, Boston University's National Emerging Infectious Diseases Laboratories released data claiming that it had combined the original strain of COVID with the Omicron variant, resulting in a new strain of COVID that killed 80% of mice in a trial. I want you to think about that for just a second. It killed 80%. Now, sure, we're just talking about mice, right? But guess what? The reason they use mice in these tests is because the lungs in mice are not that, biologically speaking, uh, different from human lungs. Now, the new strain, while it's less deadly to mice than the original, is more deadly than the Omicron variant, according to BU. The lab denies that it was conducting gain-of-function experiments, but what else could you call this? Well, let's see if we take the worst aspects of this version of the virus and combine it with the, the worst aspects of this variant of the virus, and bam. We're going to try to do what a lot of the folks on the left seem to have been rooting for to happen in nature. And yet they don't seem to understand how the biology works. Now, we've talked about this before, and I know I'm not the only person that you've heard this from. But it's important to make sure that everyone understands. And fortunately, this is a field of expertise for me, as I am a classically trained uh, student of biology. When it comes to viruses, there is a biological imperative, an evolutionary pressure on a virus to be as contagious as possible, but as harmless as possible. Because the more deadly it is to its host, the less likely it is to be able to spread. So there are certain mechanisms within nature that allows for the uh, propagation of life, even amongst life forms that aren't quite at a level of intelligence that would allow it to understand simple concepts of, uh, we're going to move from point A to point B, and that's where bacteria and, yes, even viruses fall in the line. These evolutionary processes are designed in such a fashion that if it's going to be very, very contagious, it's probably going to be for most people, relatively harmless. That's why we've seen, and we've commented on that as uh, it's progressed, every forward-moving variant of the COVID-19 virus has been less dangerous. Not that it was particularly highly dangerous to most people to begin with, but hey, you know what? I, I'm just going to sit here and spout off all the misinformation I can, right? Meanwhile, this new strain, like I said, while it's less deadly to the mice, more deadly than the Omicron variant, they're still denied. No gain-of-function research. Uh, quoting here, first, <clears throat> first, this research is not gain-of-function research, meaning it did not amplify what the Washington State SARS-CoV-2 virus strain, original virus from 2020, or make it more dangerous. This according to a statement that came from BU. And uh, this was released, of course, after the media 
started reporting the findings this past Monday. Uh, back to the statement from the university. And in fact, this research made the virus replicate less dangerous. But that's not tracking, guys. The information was released as a preprint and has not been peer-reviewed. So why was the research necessary at all? That, that seems a pretty good question. Well, according to BU, they're claiming that it is uh, to fight against future pandemics, which is always the excuse for gain-of-function research. But, but that's totally not what's happening here. Uh, we're not going to spread misinformation. We're, we're not going to speak the truth. We're going to go along with their storyline here. Obviously not what happened here. Not gain of function. Just fighting against future pandemics. But you see, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, that may they maintain that the lab was not fully transparent when it applied for approval. So what? They... They got some money, uh, maybe, some grant money, probably. Uh, you certainly had to go through them to get the samples of the COVID. Uh, we'll see how much money was involved, if any. But uh, it would appear like now the organizations run by Fauci and company, who are already in a sling over their having to redefine what gain-of-function research is, get away with the grants they offer to Wuhan, they certainly want to distance themselves from this real quick. Now, the director over at uh, NAIAD, uh, their Division of Microbiology and Infectious Disease, uh, Miss Emily uh, Erblinger? Anyway, I sorry, Emily, not meaning to butcher your last name, but uh, that's what I do here. <laughs> anyway, uh, Emily said that BU's team's original grant applications, which means they did get money, did not specify that the scientists wanted to do this precise work. This according to a report from STAT, which is a media outlet that focuses on health, medicine, and life sciences, just in case you're not familiar. Continuing back to Emily's quote, nor did the group make clear that it was doing experiments that might involve enhancing a pathogen of pandemic potential in the process, uh, again, according to the reports that were provided by the NIAID. In fact, Emily claims that uh, the organization only found out about the study through the media reports, meaning we had no idea. See, at that point, I'm starting to scratch my head a little, and I'm starting to wonder how possible is that? How likely is that? You see, I would hate to sit here and make false allegations. I would sit here and hate to just not give the benefit of the doubt to our institutions and organizations that are simply trying to look out for us and make sure that we're as healthy as possible and that we can survive pandemics should they occur. I would hate to do that. But at this point, how do we not? If you've been paying attention, how do we not? Emily actually said, quote, I think we're going to have conversations over upcoming days. Uh, basically, 
again, trying to make it sound like, well, they got some explaining to do because we didn't know anything about it. For Personally, I think these conversations are more about, let's get our story straight. And if you want to end up on the other end of this and still be able to qualify and get grants in the future, you're going to go along with whatever we tell you the cover story is. But uh, yeah, that's just me making stuff up, right? Technically, I would use the term speculation because I'm speculating based on the facts and previous experience. Doesn't mean I'm right. Certainly want to make sure that I'm being clear about that, but I, I'm not sure which would be worse, actually. Which would be worse, that our fine folks in the federal government uh, are sending out grant money to universities knowing that they're doing this? Or that the university's labs are doing this kind of research using grant money from the federal government and the federal government didn't know. Both of those are pretty scary because that means the government had no control over this at all. Now, it's entirely possible that they may be yet in better hands, more capable hands at Boston University. But it still seems like they ought to know where the dollars are going to, right? Of course, then again, maybe you're more like me, and you think that while asking those questions and trying to decide which is worse serves an academic purpose, maybe the real threat here is the fact that they just did it at all, and it doesn't matter as much as who knew. But I'm not buying it that uh, the fine folks uh, over at the NIAID didn't. I just, I don't believe it. I think this is somebody being thrown out there to tell us a story. Anyway, our good friend Emily also added in her comments that the NIAID wished BU had informed the federal agency prior to conducting the work. We wish we knew about it. In reaction to BU's denial of impropriety, Richard uh, Ebright, uh, Board of Governors Professor of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at Rutgers University and laboratory director at the Walshman Institute of Microbiology, uh, said that such a defense was false. Such a defense is false. Quoting here, the claims in BU's public statement that this research is not gain-of-function research, it did not make it more dangerous, and this research made the virus replicate less dangerous, are demonstrably false and should be deeply embarrassing. He said this in a tweet for all the world to see. He also alleged, quote, It is concerning that this research, like the research in Wuhan, that may have caused the pandemic, was not identified by the funding agency in the proper manner as enhanced potential pandemic pathogen research. It would have had to have undergone a lengthy review process if it had been designated an EPPP before approval. Now, per the National Institute of Health, while EPPP research is a type of so-called gain-of-function research, the vast majority of gain-of-function research does not involve EPPP. 
and in fact it falls outside of the scope of oversight required for research involving these PPPs. Again, uh, in case you're not following the PPP, uh, that is uh, the word that they use for enhanced potential pandemic pathogen. Potential pandemic pathogen. And when you put the E in front of it, it's enhanced. All right. Just want to make sure you're following me. Anyway. In other words, because BU allegedly did not clear the research with the NIAID, the college and the researchers really cannot say whether or not this was gain-of-function research. Uh, excuse me? It was never designated. It was never designated as gain-of-function research by the NIAID because the NIAID AID never had a chance to review it. Does that mean that they can't say? Does, is this an effort to try and give them a, a cover? Because I'm not buying that either. Hello, we know what kind of research we're doing, and I'm sorry. As a trained biologist myself, I can tell you, you know if you're doing gain-of-function research. And you can play around the edges with the definitions all you want. You're still playing the same game that all the leftists do in the world of politics. You're trying to play with the words and change their meanings. You're trying to change definitions. At the end of the day, if you're making alterations to a life form, whether it's viral or bacterial or fungal or, heaven forbid, anything higher up in the food chain, if you will, if you're changing the general traits, and you're making them more efficient at killing, then you are doing gain-of-function. Hell, for general purposes, it doesn't even have to be about how dangerous it is, but when it comes to this type of research with viruses and bacteria, that's exactly what this is. It's enhanced biological warfare. Oh, well, we're studying it so we can fight a pandemic. You're studying it so you can create a weapon and then hopefully also have the antidote to your weapon so that you can release it on your enemies and uh, the good guys, presumably, because uh, that's who you're going to think they are if you're the one doing the research, our guys, the good guys, are not going to be affected by it. That's the whole beginning of the gain of function for biological warfare purposes. You want to tell me that you don't know that you are fulfilling the definition of gain-of-function research unless the NIAID tells you that it's gain-of-function? Well, they control the definition, Tim. No, they don't. They just want you to think they do. That's why they changed it on their website, and that's why Anthony Fauci stands around saying, oh, no, uh, it's not gain-of-function, because uh, we don't define it that way anymore. Uh, at any rate, adding a little extra intrigue to this particular story, not that it needs any, but we'll, we'll go ahead and put in a dash more. EcoHealth Alliance, that name should be familiar to you if you've been following COVID at all. EcoHealth Alliance, in partnership with Boston University, was recently awarded a $1 million predictive Intelligence for Pandemic Prevention Phase 1 grant. It's a fancy way of saying, um, guess what, guys? 
EcoHealth Alliance was most likely involved with this. Now, EHA, like I said, also very closely tied to the Wuhan Institute of Biology. Which, of course, is where, okay, I'm going to play like a journalist again, many theorized that COVID originated. It's unclear what role, if any, that EHA played in Boston University's latest study, but the fact that they are indeed a partner with Boston University getting this $1 million grant does lead you to believe that this may very well have been one of the projects, if not the primary project, that they were working on. Biologist Angela Rasmussen, Rasmussen, uh, East Tennessee tongue not working well, and I've been tongue-tied all dang evening, guys, so I apologize. Continue to do so. Sorry, Angela, not meaning uh, Rasmussen. There we go, I got it out. Angela Rasmussen, uh, a coronavirus expert at the University of Saskatchewan's Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization. Well, Angela claimed that uncertainty about the EPPP rules could explain the confusion. Uh, again, Angela, sounds like you're trying to give them cover. There is no confusion here, Angela. Anyway, she continued saying, quote, because so much of the definition of EPPP pertains to reasonable anticipation of results in humans, and animal models are not always good proxies of this, it's very difficult for researchers to say, oh yes, this is EPPP. Now that's a great excuse. If you are wanting to argue the semantics of the situation. Again, you're playing fast and loose with the definitions, and you're trying to give the benefit of the doubt. And maybe Angela is legitimately just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because let's face facts, all these scientists want to believe that they're all doing great work. They want to think that they're all working together and doing great things and not causing harm. They, they want to believe this. Unfortunately, this also leads them to make silly mistakes like well, let's do some of this research in Wuhan. Oh, what could go wrong? We are, we're not legally allowed to do it here in the United States at the moment. Let's send it all over to Wuhan. Even though we should know, maybe we don't. Maybe we're so wrapped up in our own work that we don't realize this. But all the scientific research going on in China is still under the auspices of military applications. So you're helping your fellow scientists to do work that could easily be turned into a weapon, whether that's your intention or not. But to sit here and try to say, well, you know, there's so much about whether or not the models are good. And again, I'll remind you, uh, like I already mentioned, there's a reason why they like to use mice in these particular tests. Biologically speaking, the lungs are not that dissimilar from humans. So yes. You can use the mice in these particular models and get a pretty good idea of how it's going to affect people. Now, she did go ahead and add that she would reach out when in doubt, but noted that the opaque guidance here, it often causes distrust. Really? Distrust? Uh, between who? 
You're talking about the opaque guidance. Uh, are you talking about between the federal agencies that hand out these grants and the scientists doing the work at the universities? Is that the distrust? Or are you talking about a distrust between uh, media and the work going on at the university? Or are you talking about the distrust between all of you crazy people trying to create superbugs and the general population of the world because we're the ones who are eventually, whether intentionally or accidentally, become the victims of the Frankenstein creatures you're developing in the lab? Which mistrust exactly are you talking about? Important to remember that Rasmussen did not work on the BU's research, so uh, she's an outside observer speculating much like I was earlier. <sighs> Albright, again, Richard Albright, Ebright, tweeted out a response to what Angela had to say, saying people will stop suggesting biologists and NIAID are reckless or don't care about biosafety only when these virologists and NIAID stop break, stop being reckless and start caring about biosafety. Uh, you know what? I think Richard hit it on the head there. It's wise. It's, it's very wise advice. Until that actually does happen, we all need to keep a very close eye on this story. Because if it's happening at Boston University, there's a really good chance that it's happening in other places, too. Let me repeat what Richard said in this tweet, because, I, first of all, I didn't spit it out very well. But beyond that, it really is exactly what uh, the people should be saying. People will stop suggesting that these biologists and the NIAID are reckless and don't care about biosafety only when the virologist and the NIAID stop being reckless and start caring about biosafety. It's pretty obvious at this point, if they do, they don't enough. All right, let's take the uh, mid-hour break. I've run a little long, and on the other side, another COVID-related story. Oh, my. Stay where you're at. I'll be right back right after this. Don't take my word. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Hey, Joe.
UFL's preference to maximize safety and limit danger poses the most obvious threat to America's most popular sport. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook being brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, the NFL's effort to make the violent, manly game of football into an activity where quarterbacks don't get hurt is potentially a more calamitous initiative than the NFL's promotion of the grotesque Black Lives Matter movement and anti-American sentiment. The NFL's effort to please the same people who literally destroyed the Boy Scouts and who don't believe there should be men dominated anything in America today, including football. Women seek safety, men seek danger, and pushing the boundaries of discovery and achievement. 40% of men died or were maimed during the 1920s and 1930s building skyscrapers. They understood the dangers, yet they pursued those jobs anyway. Conversely, women seek safety and have convinced much of society to destroy manly adventure and danger, including the NFL, where it was understood that men flirted with danger in pursuit of a goal. The current effort to soften the game of football could eventually bring America's current favorite pastime to a screeching halt, further eroding manly culture in our republic turned mobocracy. I'm Ron Edwards. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. We must be honest with each other and with ourselves. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. You're no good, Joe. And uh, our economy does resemble something hell-like, but it's not strength and not by a long shot. All right, uh, before we jump back into today's topics, I would like to take a moment, if you don't mind, uh, to recommend you check out Beanstalks. Uh, Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the seriously simple investing that allows you to keep it simple, keep yourself investing, and to keep your portfolios diversified. Uh, Now, more than ever, it's important to automate your wealth, and you can do that with Beanstalks. We're talking about what you need to know about investing. 
your investments need to grow over time. You start investing now to build your wealth over time. Beanstalk has been designed to make it easy by automating your investment based on the simple principles held by Mr. Kevin O'Leary himself. He's the chairman and co-owner of Beanstalks, and you probably know him better as Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. Those principles, just as we've already said, keep it simple, keep investing, and keep your portfolios diversified. They can do that with Beanstalks. Just visit Beanstalks.com. That's B-E-A-N-S-T-O-X.com and check it out for yourself. And uh, with that being said, let's get back to the show. All right, so we were talking about how Boston University's laboratory is working on creating some new hybrid strain with an 80% kill count on the laboratory mice, a new COVID variant that takes the original and the Omicron and merges them so that it's more deadly than Omicron and more contagious than the original. And yet they still say they weren't doing gain of function. And they seem to think that everything's okay. Well, this news comes out at a point in time when we've heard Joe Biden talk about the fact that there, there is no more pandemic. We've heard him say that more than once now. We've heard the argument made that, you know, we can still let people come across the border and we don't have to use the pandemic as an excuse to, to turn folks around. We can leave the borders open. Y'all can be sick and come on in. It's all right again. But, but... You let them talk about the fact that uh, they want to push forward with vaccine mandates. Well, they're still an emergency. What? Is there? You let them uh, talk about the fact that they want to continue to crush our economy with more and more inflation by, in this case, virtue of utilizing student loan debt forgiveness. Um uh, well, what's the authority to allow you to do that? Their excuse again. Oh, it's the COVID emergency. It's a health emergency. That's what we've got to do. It's awfully convenient that when it comes to governmental control and spending the money, when they want to spend the money, there's still a crisis. And yet when it doesn't suit their needs, when a crisis might actually prevent them from doing what they want to do. Oh, no, no, there's, there's, it's over. It's over. Well, one of the things that they've definitely been on about is making sure that everyone from the age of five up gets boosters uh, whenever they decide to have it. But uh, if you're young and relatively healthy, then you may not need a COVID booster shot, even though that's exactly what the CDC says. According to no less of an authority than uh, the CEO of Moderna, Maybe, maybe the CDC has got this one wrong. While the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is recommending literally everybody above the age of five gets booster shots, Stefan Benchel, he, again, the CEO of Moderna, he begs to differ. 
Even though his company stands to continue profiting off of the uh, mRNA vaccine, it's best, according to him, it's best to think of the boosters as annual flu shots. Saying, quote, I think it's going to be like the flu. If you're 25 years old, do you need an annual booster every year if you're healthy? You might want to, but I think it's going to be similar to the flu, where it's going to be people at particularly high risk, people above 50 years of age, people with comorbidities, people with cancer and other conditions, people with transplants. These are the people he thinks should. These are the people who might need to continue to get booster shots. Oh, the jab. Even pro-vaccine skeptics have questioned why young, healthy people and small children would need regular booster shots since they're, you know, they're at very little risk of suffering significant illness. Boosters, though the backers of the everybody gets a booster every six months no matter what, well, they've long claimed that kids should be fully vaccinated so that they won't pass the virus on to more vulnerable adults. But now we know, thanks to a Pfizer executive, uh, that um, at least the Pfizer version was never tested for preventing transmission. And I think we can probably say the same thing about the Moderna. Young men and adolescent boys face an elevated risk of heart inflammation after a second dose of the Pfizer and the Moderna shots. A simple fact that the CDC wants you to ignore. A simple fact that Joe Biden himself wants to tell you is not a big deal. A simple fact that even the orange man who's bad is not real keen on admitting because whether we like it or not, he opened the door to this experimentation and this widespread usage of an item that is still in its trial phase. There are health and safety reasons why normally new vaccines take years to get to market. When Donald Trump said that he was going to cut the red tape and try to bring this to the American people. I have no no doubt whatsoever that his heart was in the right place. And he thought, like governmental red tape, that scientific red tape is also just that. It's just roadblocks to try and slow things down and prevent progress. He didn't like the idea, so he tried to open the door to move this stuff as quickly as possible. And as a result, things like the... Uh, inflammation in the hearts of these young folks, especially adolescent boys, well, that was downplayed and probably not even understood fully the, how much these numbers were going to equate to until suddenly we're jabbing kids from five years and up. The reports were there. There were outliers. There were just a few random people Yeah, okay, every now and then somebody has a terrible reaction. That happens with everything. But the true numbers have been hidden from the American people. In fact, people of the whole world. It's way more dangerous than we were ever led to believe. That's not something they can deny anymore. Pfizer now has admitted 
Oh, yeah, we never even tested whether or not this would prevent the spread. Never even tested it. We hadn't started looking at it until after the widespread use. Now, what does the CDC say? Well, the CDC says that the same group of uh, young people, these adolescent young men and adolescent boys, uh, they face an even higher risk of the uh, the heart inflammation than from COVID. They admit that if if you're among this number, if you're among the young men and adolescent boys that suffer from heart inflammation, well, that's way more dangerous to you than COVID was. So. Why do you need to take a vaccination that might inflame your heart when if you get the disease, you are never at any serious risk anyway, and the likelihood that you might be one of those few people in that age group that would get seriously sick, face possible serious long-term hospitalization or worse, why would you do this? Well, it was to prevent the spread for the to the adults. The kids are going to... Except, no, it, it didn't prevent it. It doesn't prevent it. They didn't know. And clearly it didn't. It didn't even prevent you from catching it. It didn't prevent you from catching it again. And now we also know, especially if you're in the older age group, if you're 60 or over, you're at a very high risk of, once you have multiple boosters, you're own immune system becomes weaker, not just against COVID, but against literally everything else you might encounter. Still, still the CDC recommended the new Omicron boosters for kids as young as five. Children ages five to 11 are eligible for Pfizer's booster, and kids ages six to 17 are eligible for Moderna's. Pfizer's new boosters are were cleared for people ages 12 and up back in September, while Moderna's were authorized for adults ages 18 and older. Dr. Peter Marks, head of the FDA's vaccine division, just this past week said, quote, We encourage parents to consider primary vaccination for children and follow-ups with an updated booster dose when eligible. So, they claim that they've designed these new boosters to protect against the original strain of coronavirus, as well as the Omicron BA4 and 5 variants. A claim that one would hope would have been valid off the, off the jump, but clearly was not. Of course, the White House is urging all Americans to get their updated boosters at the same time as their flu shot. Just go ahead and get it done at the same time, no matter what that might actually cost. There's been a booster shot campaign that started at uh, the beginning of fall. It started slowly with only about 15 million doses administered to date, at least according to CDC data. That's just roughly about 5% of the eligible population, by the way, so maybe folks are smart, starting to smarten up. People are now turned out trying to forget it and move on with their lives. This is a quote from Dr. Thomas Russo, an infectious disease expert at the University of Buffalo at Jacobs School of Medicine, 
and biomedical sciences. They don't want to hear about COVID anymore. Well, guess what? Sadly, we're not going to be able to escape it. There's going to be no escape from hearing about COVID more because you're trying to create new variations in the labs. Universities like Boston University are trying to develop new strains of COVID that is just as easily transmissible as Omicron that still has enough kick to kill 80% of the mice they tested. That sounds way more dangerous than the original strain. And certainly sounds like gain of function, no matter how you want to define it. You're going to keep hearing about it because these, these so-called vaccines, that again, you had to change the legal definition of what a vaccine is to call it that, they have not been adequately tested. I started to talk about how Trump tried to cut red tape because he thought it was just like bureaucratic red tape with the government, but it's not. These longer trials are designed to pick up how much of the outliers there are, how many unexpected events are going to occur, how dangerous something really can be. Now, the mRNA uh, research and the technology, it's been used to fight cancer for a while, but it has not been used previous to this to try and trick your immune system into thinking that uh, it's developing antibodies and fighting off a virus. So this is still virgin territory with this technology, no matter how long the technology has actually existed. It's being used off-label, if you will, something that we're told should never be done if we're talking about malaria medications trying to fight COVID. Oh, no, you can't do that. That's bad. You're a very bad person. You talk about natural immunity. Oh, which still seems to be the, the best version of immunity to COVID. Oh, no, you can't do that. It means you have to get it to get immunity. Okay, well, that's the only way herd immunity is going to occur here, guys, because we've seen the vaccines. And it doesn't matter if Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, all of them. None of them stopped the spread. Although, if you look at certain news outlets, they're going to try and convince you that, well, yeah, yeah, we probably it slowed things down. It did really good. It was saving lives. Where? Who? When? Show me. Show me a case where COVID was slowed down. It didn't start slowing down in this country until everybody freaking got it. And it's still making its rounds under the new variants. When it's changed just enough that the old antibodies in uh, the human body, for those who've had it before, well, they just can't quite fight it off. But it's still such a low risk to the majority of Americans Let's take care of the folks that are at risk and let's stop pretending like this isn't experimental because we are still in the experimental phase with this and it's proving itself to be more dangerous than we should be allotted. And if you don't believe me, if you want to buy in to all the hype from the White House and from the big pharma companies, you know, I, I don't know exactly when it was the left started trusting big pharma. Uh, it seems like whatever suits their purpose. Oh, you're helping us to control the masses. Okay, well, maybe you're not as bad as we thought. But when these folks, you want to see how much they really believe in this, how much they truly trust their version of the science, which means there's no room for actual science. 
let's take away all the legal protections from Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and everybody else that's manufactured one of these jabs. Let's take away their legal protection so that they're open to lawsuits for people who have been hurt by this. And we'll see how much longer they continue to make their vaccines available. Something tells me they'll want to go back to trials then. Let's take this off the market. Now, we should still be protected because the FDA approved the sale. No, that doesn't protect other pharmacy uh, pharmaceutical companies from harm caused by their product, especially if people were forced to take it. If a product is really as good as they claim for health purposes, you don't have to force people to take it. You just don't. There'll be enough people that'll try it up front, and they'll have a story to tell. Hey, look at this. I took it, and I feel really great. And, you know, sure, my right arm just fell off for no apparent reason, but I feel great, and uh, I don't have to worry about COVID. If, <laughs> if that happened, enough people would follow suit. Like, hmm, I saw that Ricky over there had his right arm fall off, but to be fair, Ricky's pretty clumsy. That arm was probably going to fall off anyway. Let the American people, let the people of the world, let them have the actual information and let them do their own risk assessment and let us get back to the business of being, you know, a free people, shall we? That's it for the first hour. Don't go anywhere. Hour number two will start right after this. And, uh, hey, Joe? This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. A blue state plan taught to praise the little man, told that union saved the working class. He was raised a red state son to love the flag and own a gun, warned about the greed within the mass. They met beneath the moonlit sky, a college party drunk and high, and when they had degrees, they said their vows. He he couldn't say when, he couldn't say how, he couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. Learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west Homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less
can say when, they can say how, and they can say why. They're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes. number two of tonight's uh, broadcast of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day, wherever you are, whatever you may be doing, uh, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am indeed your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, and I am coming to you from beautiful, scenic, lovely, and, oh yes, historic Roan County, Tennessee. And uh, it happens to be October the 18th, meaning we are more than halfway through the month of October. And if you aren't watching enough scary movies to celebrate the upcoming Halloween, then all you have to do is pay attention to politics. That's probably way scarier than anything that you're going to see <laughs> coming through 
the screens. Uh, certainly worthy of screams. At any rate, uh, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, glad to have you here along with me for the ride. Uh, certainly appreciate every last one of you, whether you're listening to the rebroadcast over on WCET Radio, or if you're listening to the rebroadcast on The Last Frequency, or, you know, uh, if you're just listening to the podcast on any of the great platforms where you listen to podcasts, well, just thank you. Especially those of you listening on Stitcher, because Stitcher.com has just all of a sudden blown it up. You guys are doing great, and keep it up. Want to try and make sure that we start getting some uh, pressure put on some of these other uh, platforms. Now, Spotify. Spotify's had a jump this week, but you're still a long way off, Spotify listeners, if you're trying to catch up with Stitcher. A long way off. In the meanwhile, thank you so much, regardless of where you're listening at. I appreciate it. And if you are listening to a version of the show that is monetized, that means there's going to be ads at the beginning and at the middle and at the end. Uh, please go ahead and let all the ads play. Even if you just turn the volume down, let them play before you're done. Uh, I it, it helps. Every little bit helps. And right now, that's something that's not going to cost you a thing, and you get to help uh, support the show. So, at the very least, do that. Also, I did mention Beanstalk back in the first hour. There's going to be a link in the show description that will take you there so you can check it out. I called out... Uh, the proper spelling for Beanstalks uh, for the website as well. I do want to make sure that you are aware I do, full disclosure, have a small, a very tiny uh, equity stake in the company. So, you know, it's not like a, a big deal. But just so you know, I do have a reason to try to get you to go visit. It is a, a plus. It doesn't directly support the show. But it does directly support me. So, yeah, that's just as helpful, too. Okay. Uh, let's get into hour number two before I uh, just babble on way too long. We have discussed BlackRock in the past. We've talked a little bit about their dirty dealings, how they're using our money, uh, and your money. I don't actually have anything that's invested into a BlackRock fund, but they use your money, lots and lots of your money, to try and bully businesses into being more woke. They are one of the major founding ideological purveyors of ESG scoring. They really, really like it. But now that conservatives have actually gotten wind of exactly how activist and leftist activists the folks at BlackRock are, it's become very clear that a political solution is very viable. Because here's the thing. Uh, you as an individual, if you are directly investing in the BlackRock uh, holdings of any kind, you can divest out of them. You can take your money out. But BlackRock has a lot of its power, again, by using your money and in some cases our money, because a lot of states have sent pension funds and utilized BlackRock to invest. Same difference here. Now, states that are under conservative control have recognized the threat that's pervaded by BlackRock, and they have started divesting. And Missouri has become the latest state to divest from BlackRock. They have now officially pulled 
$500 million in pension funds out of BlackRock's uh, coffers. So uh, Missouri State Treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick announced this past Tuesday that the uh, state's retirement system sold $500 million in public equities managed by BlackRock over the firm's commitment to the uh, ESG scoring, which is also environmental, social, and governance investing. The news, of course, comes after several conservative states have divested more than $1 billion in funds from BlackRock. And you know what I call that? A good start. Anyway, leading... uh, leading to concerns on Wall Street about the asset management company's risk profile and inducing a mild stock market sell-off, meaning that now all of a sudden the market itself is downgrading the value of BlackRock, which in turn makes it even less attractive to the places that weren't quite ready to divest themselves. They may be uh, dumping stock in the company as a whole and therefore also no longer investing company, uh, investing money with the company. Fitzpatrick, again, the Missouri uh, state treasurer, he said in a statement that was provided to outlets like the Daily Wire that the divestment is, quote, the right thing to do for Missouri state employees who rely on the funds for their retirement plans. Here's where he is correct. He continued, I'm going to go back to quoting, fiduciary, fiduciary duty must remain the top priority for investment managers, a duty some of them have advocated in favor of forcing a left-wing social and political agenda that has failed to succeed legislatively. We should not allow asset managers such as BlackRock, who have demonstrated that they will prioritize advancing a woke political agenda above the financial interest of their customers, to continue speaking on behalf of the state of Missouri. Now, he's absolutely right. BlackRock has been using the power of your dollars, your invested dollars. Together, they have been placing proxy votes. When, If you're not familiar with how the stock market works, if you're a publicly traded company, you will have a board of directors. And the board of directors ultimately decides the policies that a company is going to pursue. You can have your CEO who's going to try to lead it. You can have a president slash CEO who may, in some situations, be the chairman of the board of directors as well. But ultimately, there is only so much authority they have, and the board can overrule the CEO. The board can overrule the chairman. The board can do all kinds of things that uh, essentially require them to have said fiduciary responsibility. Now, again, if you're not too familiar with the market, all that really means is you are legally required to take the best possible care of the funds that have been invested to maximize the return on investment, whether that's through growth of the company or through profitability, which in turn presumably will hopefully at some point lead to dividends as well as continuing to raise the value of the stock that you own in said company. The more stock that is owned, 
the more proxy votes they will have. Now, what happens is you get proxy votes. You get to vote your shares. You get to vote according. You get a vote on who sits on the board. Now, what BlackRock has been doing is taking all the votes that should belong to you, and they've been taking them themselves because they're the ones that are taking your money, and then they invest it. They're buying up the stock, and then they say that since we're the ones holding it, we get the proxy vote. And they've been forcing certain types of board members into place, board members that they know that are going to uh, be very supportive of ESG scoring, of racial identity politics, of uh, gender, radical gender theory politics. They want to put people in a position to make the decisions of the company that are highly supportive of these radical ideas instead of, you know, making a profit. The fiduciary responsibility they actually have. Now, South Carolina pulled $200 million from BlackRock uh, not too long ago due to the company's leftist worldview, which caused executives to undermine their fiduciary responsibilities. This was their explanation. Louisiana has also announced intentions earlier this month to divest a total of nearly $800 million from BlackRock. They started out a little, and because of the way things are set up in the state of Louisiana, the treasurer there cannot legally just do it all at once. He's got to do things step by step. And he was trying to do it quietly until the issue came up, and then he felt it uh, appropriate to go ahead and make the whole plan public. Despite BlackRock executives coming uh, representatives of the company coming directly to them and trying to explain, oh, no, that's not what we're doing. We're we're not really trying to do this. And uh, he politely told him, it's like, I understand that you may be telling me what you think is true. I understand that you're just trying to do your job. I get it. But when I see the CEO of BlackRock all over financial news networks and on news networks from other countries telling us exactly what his plan is, and it's the opposite of what you're telling me now, forgive me if I'm going to take the CEO at his word. And with that statement, he sent them on their merry way, and he was done. They're moving forward. So Louisiana's stepping out. Weeks earlier than that, the state of Texas revealed that BlackRock and nine other firms had violated state law by refusing to deal with or terminating business activities with companies involved in the production and use of fossil fuels without an ordinary business purpose. Meaning they just got out because they just did the fossil fuel energy. They didn't have a reason to get out of business. There wasn't a, well, this business is failing, this business isn't making a profit. This business is doing something other than what they claim to. This business is doing something blatantly illegal. Nope, they just did it because you're in the fossil fuel industry. That's not woke enough for us. That's not green enough for us. So we're not going to do business with you anymore. BlackRock was one of these people that was doing that. Well, not people, businesses. And so Texas said, nope, you and uh, these nine other companies you're violating Texas state law by entering into a business contract with these folks at one point 
and then just withdrawing from it, breaking your contract, failing to continue to do business in a fashion that's reasonable without having an actual ordinary business purpose, meaning business, not wokeness, not embracement of the green, not the fallacies of a leftist utopian dream, but actually saying, do you have a genuine actual business reason for no longer conducting this business? State law, and it makes sense that a state like Texas would do that because, you know, fossil fuels are kind of a big deal there. Now, BlackRock itself, it manages $8.5 trillion in assets. It has made public stands regarding climate change and various other social matters. The firm's taken voting action on climate issues. It's done so against dozens of its portfolio companies, according to an investment stewardship report, meaning it shows up, it votes the shares that they're holding on behalf of you. They're voting whether you agree with it or not. They forced different people onto the boards. They pushed policies regarding who you're conducting business with. They have tried to make it impossible for non-green companies and non-woke companies to be successful. And if you are a successful company, they've tried to take over your boards, utilizing all those resources that they manage. Quoting uh, Treasurer Fitzpatrick again, it is past time that all investors recognize the massive fiduciary breach that is taking place before our eyes and do something about it. Now, BlackRock has rendered Missourians' tax dollars weaponized against the Missourians. BlackRock has done this to everybody that has their money directed towards them. Because in the case of Missouri, in the case of Texas, in the case of a state like Tennessee, we have vested interests. West Virginia would be another great example. The so-called fossil fuel industry is a big part of the, what happens in these states. And by virtue of trying to shut them down when they couldn't do it through legislation, when they couldn't get legal action taken to do it, trying to, to dry up all the money that's available artificially, not only does that hurt our energy independence, which has been a primary target of the Greens from the beginning, Joe Biden has done a whole lot to make that happen on their behalf, it also puts businesses in a place where Maybe you don't want to invest in, uh, let's say, new refineries that we desperately need, or the fossil fuel industry as a whole, because it doesn't seem like there's going to be enough profitability there if they're allowed to start rating companies on ESG scoring. Among other leading asset manager executives, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink believes that Climate risk is investment risk. 
they said it's one of his tag phrases. The company said in a recent letter to state attorney general, uh, state attorneys general, multiple states, that the officials inaccurately portray ESG as a departure from the maximization of profits, asserting that entities that assume a forward-looking position with respect to climate risk and its implications for the energy transition will generate better long-term financial outcomes, which is a fancy way of trying to say that, well, eventually these industries are going to go away. So exactly how long-term are we talking, though, Larry? If you're going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, and you're going to try and manipulate everything into place so that you eventually become the winner, well, that's immoral at best. But I do need to know how long-term these financial goals are. Every investor should be asking that question because these are pretty sounding words. It's like, well, yeah, we're prepared to invest long-term, and if that's what we're looking at, okay. Uh, I'm perfectly content investing a few hundred dollars now if it's going to turn into a few thousand dollars later, and I just have to let you sit on it for 5, 10, maybe even 15 to 20 years if I'm young enough. But you see, that's not really what we're talking about with what you're doing. Those are the words you're using, and you're expecting people, especially investors, to interpret that utilizing the meanings of those words today, even though your meaning is something very different. Climate risk is still being drawn from these models that aren't particularly good at predicting climate change. The reason they're not particularly good is because they don't take all of the data into account. But the risk assessment the climate risk that you're talking about, when you're only looking at the green, you fail to properly take into account human innovation. Innovation that would be greatly uh, hastened through the use of investment dollars into the hands of companies that have reason to try and maintain their business. Human innovation that allows us to better survive climate change, to acclimate, to better adapt. Nobody wants the world destroyed. Nobody wants to be a terrible steward. But if you're actually doing the fiduciary responsibility there, Larry, then you need to be thinking about a long-term transition that's going to be slow and economical and look for the creation of new technologies in a reasonable time frame, not just try to snap your fingers and force everybody into this ESG scoring, where you're going to force people into new energy sources because nothing else is going to be available. And guess what? The poorest among us are going to be doing what they're doing right now in Europe to try to have something to heat their homes with this winter. They're going to be using horse dung. They're going to be using excrement from animals to heat their homes, which, by the way, not very healthy, is it? I bet you could even get Dr. Anthony Fauci's second greatest doctor of all time right behind Dr. Bill 
uh, Dr. Jill Biden, uh, but you could even get Dr. Fauci to go on record and say, uh, yeah, burning uh, animal dung in your home is not the healthiest way to heat your house. But that's the type of resources we're going to have if you have your way when it comes to energy transition. Let's do it in a way that makes sense. And stop trying to force companies away from their fiduciary responsibilities, which is to make the highest amount of profit for their investors. Of course, the debate over ESG and that movement, it's kind of grown a little more heated recently. It's gotten the more and more people have come to understand it and see what it is. Uh, they're not real keen on it, and it's gotten even more so heated since the beginning of the year as we've seen our energy prices go through the roof. Many, myself included, contend that these energy prices are a result of public policy that emphasizes renewable power sources. Now, that's a really polite way of saying that public policy is the governmental policies of Joe Biden and the administration. The immediate cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline, Keystone XL Pipeline, just to be clear. The immediate cancellation on day one. The refuse, the refusal to do the governmental land leasing as is required by law, in a fashion that would actually promote energy development, energy exploration and development. Yeah, we can't do that. And now you want to move forward with ESG as if somehow that makes sense. And let's not forget that the environmental part of it is just a very small part. The energy part might be the part that gets most people's attention right now that they're paying the most that they've ever paid in decades for gasoline, in some cases the most in history. But the social and the uh, guidance part is also equally dangerous, and people will come to realize that that's not something they really want either. According to the most recent Winter Fuels Outlook from the Energy Information Administration, the typical American household using natural gas for space heating, well, they're going to spend about $931 on power from October to March, marking a $206 increase over last year. And remember, inflation had started over a year ago. Adding to the fact that BlackRock is prioritizing politics over profits, which is technically illegal to violation of the fiduciary responsibilities, therefore anybody who's holding sent their money to BlackRock has a legal claim to file against them, despite them prioritizing politics over profits, is the primary role that they played in crippling American energy companies and driving our nation into the current energy crisis. Consumer Research Executive Director Will Hild said in a statement provided to the Daily Wire, quote, 
BlackRock's ESG crusade has harmed American consumers financially, and it will leave many Americans struggling to heat their homes this winter. End quote. That's the least of the damage BlackRock has been doing. So, again, kudos to Missouri. Kudos to Texas. Kudos to every other state that is divesting. Louisiana needs some big credit on there, too. Every state that's divesting their public pensions, taking them out of the hands of BlackRock and putting them somewhere that's a little more traditional. Good job. More people need to do exactly that. If you have personal funds being held in BlackRock, you know, if you're some lefty green tree hugger guy, then, hey, yeah, go ahead. Leave your money there if that's what you want. But if you are conservative at all, or if you're just somebody who has invested your money and wants your money to make the biggest return that it can before you retire, get your money out of BlackRock. Lots of other better places to put it. All right, let's take that mid-hour break, and then we will move on to the next topic. You guys stay right where you're at. I'll be back right after this very brief break. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Because of the grossly inadequate government school system practice of not teaching complete and authentic American history, one would think that black Americans contributed very little to our American society. Hello, I'm Rod Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, if your refrigerator contains any produce from your local grocery market, then you can rightfully credit black United States inventor Frederick McKinley Jones. Mr. Jones took out more than 60 patents throughout his life of achievement. Amongst them was a 1930s patent for the roof-mounted cooling system commonly used to refrigerate food products on extended transportation routes. Frederick McKinley Jones officially received his roof-mounted cooling system patent for his invention in 1940. He also co-founded the U.S. Thermal Control Company that later became famously known as Thermo King. The company was critical during World War II, helping to preserve donated blood and food supplies for our American war heroes during the massive war between liberty and tyranny. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. 
So I'll say this. The president has been very clear, you know, as you know, the president has been very clear, very clear, very, very clear. We need more money to plan for the second pandemic. He's been very clear. There's going to be another pandemic. The president is doing what the president is. Your, the president is. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. These are items that the president has been very clear on. End of quote. Repeat the line. And so the president has been very clear. The president has been very clear. I was going to foot him. Uh, foot, foot, the president's been very clear. Like a billion, two hundred million, seven hundred seven, 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 seven thirty-seven thousand, seven, seven thirty, seven hundred thirty. Very, very clear. All you got to do is look what is being played on, played the, 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 this morning. Look, the president has been very clear. But is he going to specify exactly? No, but he has. The best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you, that you uh, um, like to be able to. Anyway. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say, stick your pride. Where the sun don't shine, keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. If they would leave us alone, I'd be able to say, Everything is awesome. Yeah, but they're not going to do that. All right. Before we go into my last story of the day, I want to talk to you a little bit about Second Skull. Ooh, sounds scary, right? Unless you know what they actually did. Second Skull is a company that designs headbands and skull caps that actually help provide additional protection. Originally designed for athletes, but actually any situation where you may or may not wear a hard hat, you can also use these things. Now, Second Skull products are scientifically engineered to reduce impact. They're designed to help protect your skull and, more importantly, your brain underneath it. Every Second Skull item, it comes with a thin layer of lightweight XRD. Now, that's an extreme impact protection material made from special urethane molecules that are soft and flexible when at rest, but can momentarily harden under sudden pressure. Now, these things are great, but more importantly, uh, what happens with Second Skull is they provide for you everything that a world-class athlete wants and needs. Fashion and usability. These are great stuff. I know some folks that have bought some of the product. 
they're loving it. Some uh, youth football players actually got together and made some purchases, and and they are swearing by it. But it's not just for athletes, and that's the important thing to remember. Uh, you should go check out secondskull.com and see everything they have to offer. If you've got a, uh, a kid that's part of your family that you are looking uh, forward to try and protect, that they're involved in youth sports, and this is a perfect thing for them. If you have, uh, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, a grandparent, if you're a foreman on a hard hat side, maybe you want to encourage your people to, to get this too. It's worth taking a, a good look at. And like I said, the folks that I know personally that have used it, they love them. They absolutely love them. Uh, now, also like what I mentioned earlier, when it comes to uh, when it comes to beanstalk, I do also have a very very small tiny equity stake to the point that it's embarrassing to even have to say it. I have so such such a small amount, but in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I am just asking you to visit the website and see what they have to offer and decide for yourself. All right, I'm not trying to give you the hard sell. But there, I do stand to have some small level of financial gain if you guys check them out and love them. It's a great product, though. It really is. And uh, I would not have invested any of my own very hard-to-come-by money, which I did before Biden inflation really took out. I'm not able to, to do any of that now. But uh, I would not have invested my own money into the company if I didn't think that... Uh, that they're providing a quality product and they're doing a lot of good. So again, check the show description. Or if you're listening to the rebroadcast on WCET or over at thelastfrequency.com, you may want to just simply visit secondskull.com. That is the number two and then ND for a second, uh, skull.com. So 2ndskull.com. And uh, just check out and see what they have to offer. It's really, really good stuff. I, I, I can't emphasize it enough. All right, let's get back to the show. Um, at this point, we've been doing some talking about these pro-life activists who are being bullied by the FBI, that are being targeted by the DOJ. The Biden administration is using the DOJ as a weapon against all the political dissidents that are facing. But these pro-life activists are the shining example of what these folks are willing to do. We have nonviolent pro-life activists facing 11 years in federal prison for the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad crime of violating the FACE Act. These people are claiming that they were denying access to abortion clinics. But even in the instances where there was a concerted effort to try and clog up hallways, even in the cases where people made an actual, honest effort to prevent access, nothing that these people did elevated to the same level of the George Floyd riots. None of it. These people believe just as strongly as all those George Floyd uh, 
Black Lives Matter uh, on the street protesters believe in their cause. They believe even more. They believe in the sanctity of life. They're standing up. They are engaging in a minor level of civil disobedience. And in many cases, these are people that were locally not charged. In some cases, taken into custody and released. In other cases, not even taken into custody. Multiple occasions, just ignored. But you have nonviolent pro-life activists that are going to be sent to federal prison for 11 years because they believe that a pre-born baby human is worth standing up for. Nonviolent pro-life activist Herb Gallery this past Monday slammed the Biden administration for using the Department of Justice as a weapon against political dissidents. Not the first time you've heard that phrasing, and I'm willing to put big money down right now. It's not going to be the last. In this particular case, Herb is one of the numerous pro-life activists who've been hit with federal Freedom of Access to Clinic Act charges for demonstrating against the murder of pre-born baby humans. The activist changed over, uh, sorry, charged over an encounter in Washington, D.C., in this case, back in 2020. Charged in this encounter, facing, again, as all these other activists, facing 11 years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release, and, oh yeah, don't forget the fine of up to, and believe me when I tell you, the Biden administration is going to go for the maximum, a fine up to $260,000. Quoting here from a tweet posted by uh, Garrity, this, excuse me just a second, so sorry I couldn't quite get to the, uh, cough button fast enough, so had to interrupt. Anyway, from the tweet from Garlty, uh this past uh, weekend, much has already been said about the unjust and political nature of the recent arrest and charges brought against myself and other pro-life activists and leaders. It is clear that the Biden administration intends to use the DOJ as a weapon against political dissidents. Thank you to those who are speaking up in our defense and calling for justice. However, as you do that, please never lose sight of the fact that no matter what the state does to me or the other defendants, it will never compare to what they allow abortionists to do to children. The unborn babies still being killed every day in this country, despite the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision, are the real victims. These children do not even get a trial before they're put to death. As you pray and demand justice for us, do not... Stop working for justice for them. If convicted, I'm facing up to 11 years in federal prison. 
that is obviously terrifying. However, 11 years is nothing compared to having your life snuffed out before you're even old enough to take your first steps or speak your first words. How about take your first breath? He didn't say that, but how about that? Shouldn't that be part of the equation? They're not even being allowed to take their first breath. Anyway, back to the quote. Solidarity forever with nonviolent political prisoners and targets of the state. Solidarity forever with the unborn victims of state-sanctioned violence. That's how he ended the, the tweet thread. He quickly earned support online from fellow pro-lifers and a crowdfunding account on platform Give, Send, Go, which is part of the parallel economy, a crowdfunding platform that does not discriminate against conservative causes or religious causes, unlike some of the others out there. Anyway, the crowdfunding account on the platform Give, Send, Go has been set up to help with fees related to the legal battles that are upcoming for both him and other pro-life activists who are facing face charges. But is it enough? Because no matter how much money we send them, no matter how much help we offer them, the real help we need to send is putting actual conservatives in office, putting them in control of Congress, and continuing to pass new laws so that the, judi so that the judicial branch, enunciation being important, doesn't have any leeway, any wiggle room to try and say, well, you, a nonviolent activist, legally protested, and yet we're going to pass a law that makes certain types of legal protests illegal, and then we're going to look the other way, even raise bail money for people that riot and destroy private property and say that they're just protesting. But these people, these people have the nerve to tell us we can't go around murdering pre-born baby humans. Oh my gosh, they should go to prison. Eleven years aren't enough. If we really want to help, we need to send people to Congress that are going to pass laws that are going to first repeal the FACE Act, especially given the Dobbs decision. Because of the Dobbs decision, makes it quite clear the federal government has no business being involved with abortion in any fashion whatsoever, and that would include a law banning the obstruction of the facility. Leave that again to the states. If a state wants to pass a statewide version of FACE, let them go ahead. But there should be no federal law, period. Anyway, so far, at least 22 anti-abortion activists have been charged with the FACE Act just this year. 22 so far, and that number is climbing. This is even more shocking because there have been no arrests or charges brought against any of the individuals who have been firebombing and vandalizing and otherwise attacking pro-life churches and uh, 
pregnancy centers. The crisis pregnancy centers. They've been getting firebombed. They've been getting vandalized. They've been getting destroyed. People that work there have been attacked, and they've been publicly attacked, even by people like uh, Pocahontas herself saying that we need to get these out of our state. They're misinforming people. They're leading people to believe that an abortion isn't necessary. Oh, no! What the hell is wrong with these folks? I mean, technically we know, but when they say and do certain things, it just... I have to ask the question out loud again so that maybe somebody who hasn't put in the thought will put in the thought. Think about it. Use some critical thought. What is wrong with Elizabeth Warren? Well, there's many things, but let's start with what's wrong with her thinking that a crisis pregnancy center is somehow a bad thing. Anyway, A.J. Hurley, director of Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust, AJ criticized the targeting of uh, Garrity, claiming that the activists refused to hand over communications with other pro-life activists to the feds because they were trying to charge yet more people with conspiracy. Conspiracy to commit violations of the FACE Act. You conspired with other people. Well, if that's what you're going to use this for, then these communications are staying private. Anyway, a press release from the DOJ uh, released this past Friday connected this individual to allegedly forcefully entering an abortion clinic and blocking two clinic doors back on October 22nd of 2020. So again, nearly, nearly two years ago, this event happened. A federal grand jury in the District of Columbia today returned a two-count superseding indictment charging a tenth defendant. That's Herb in this case. 25 years of age of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with conspiracy against rights and FACE Act offenses in connection with an alleged reproductive health care clinic blockade in Washington, D.C. on October 22, 2022. This was according to the press release. Quoting here again, The original indictment returned by a federal grand jury on March 24th alleges that the nine defendants, Warren Handy, Jonathan Darnell, Jay Smith, Paulette Harlow, Jean Marshall, John Henshaw, Heather Adani, Adonel, I, sorry Heather, I'm hopefully not butchering your name too much, uh, William Goodman, and Joan Bell, engaged in a conspiracy to create a blockade at the Reproductive Health Care Clinic to prevent the clinic from providing and patients from receiving reproductive health services. Several of the defendants traveled from other states to participate in the blockade, including Adonley, who was from Michigan, and Smith and Henshaw from New York, and Harlow and Marshall of Massachusetts. These are literally people from other blue places. 
where abortion is being done in a wholesale, coming to D.C. To, to send a message. Now, according to the superseding indictment, as part of the conspiracy, Herb communicated with Handy to plan the blockade. The superseding indictment further alleges that Handy, Smith, Harlow, Marshall, Hinshaw, Adonley, Goodman, Bell, and Gerantley, Herb in this case, forcefully entered the clinic and set about blockading two clinic doors using their bodies, furniture, chains, and ropes. Once the blockade was established, Darnell live-streamed footage of his co-defendant's activities. <clears throat> The indictments also allege that all ten defendants violated the FACE Act by using a physical obstruction to injure, intimidate, and interfere with the clinic's employees and a patient because they were providing or obtaining reproductive health services. So, you know, making sure that you crossed the T's and dotted the I's that Face is undeniable. It's been violated. The only thing that's been violated here when it comes to protesting at an abortion clinic, if you're doing it in a nonviolent fashion, if you're not hurting anyone, then it's only the constitutional rights of the individuals that are being harmed, the protesters. I mean, we've been lectured since the summer of love, immediately following the death of St. George Floyd, uh, how protests are a function of the American experience, that protests are vibrant and it's a sign that democracy is strong, that we must stand up against the powers of the government in an effort to stand up for what we believe in, especially if a terrible harm is being committed to an underrepresented people. Can you think of a group of people existing in this country that's more underprotected underrepresented, underserved than the unborn baby human? I mean, it's not like Democrats are running around saying, oh, well, you know what, uh, that is a human life, and that is another person because, you know, their DNA is different than the DNA of the mother, therefore two separate bodies, therefore that's not your body, therefore your body, your choice. The choice part was over, now you're making a choice for another body, you don't have the right to just murder somebody else. Use proactive contraception up front if you're not ready to become a parent, or better yet, use good moral judgment and don't put yourself in situations where you might have a child as an end result of your activities, and then you don't have to worry about things like Oh no, there's a baby human growing in my womb. What will I do? I know, let's murder it. That's not a moment that occurs if you behave in a rational, 
reasonable, mm, dare I say, responsible fashion. Oh no, what a crazy idea. What a crazy notion. Being responsible. <sighs> it's freaking 2022, Tim. Who on earth do you expect to be responsible? <sighs> of course, I suppose I have some creditors that uh, would make the same argument. Hey, Tim, while you're talking about responsibility, uh, you may want to pay some of these bills, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm working on the Biden inflation, okay? Working on it. Doing my best. <laughs> like a lot of other folks. All right. I don't think I have seen within our lifetime a more blatant, more obvious, right out in the open instance of an administration, dare I say, a regime utilizing the power of government to completely decimate constitutional rights. I don't think we have seen quite as many obvious double standards in play between who you want to recognize as a protester, even though they're rioting and causing harm, being violent. Well, that's just a protest. And then nonviolent folks, just because they're standing up for something that stands in opposition of your political platform? Maybe some of these folks should have already checked out what's offered by Second Skull. Because obviously a few of them have hit their head a few too many times, perhaps even dropped as small children. It's not... It's bad enough that there is a large number of American citizens that are willing to stand up and shout their abortion. It's bad enough that an even larger number of American citizens are ready to stand up and say it's perfectly okay to murder pre-born baby humans at the drop of a hat, on demand, for any reason whatsoever, at any point in time. Those things are terrible. It's horrible. But what makes this worse is the fact that our government that was constituted for the express purpose of protecting our God-given rights as enumerated in the Constitution has adopted a third world banana republic setting and simply wants to go after their political adversaries rather than stand up for what's right. That's got to be it for today, folks. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And one last time, my message to Joe. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's hey. go.
control is using both hands. Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep. To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep. Stalin, Hitler, Mao, me, and Pol Pot. They told us things that you never forgot. Lessons to your daughters and sons To fear the government that fears your guns Now the new world order crew Well, they're making their demands They don't feel safe if you are armed You say gun control Is using both hands Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our, our be- priests, bishops and pastors refuse to face. That their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war. And someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because you see by then we will have been so weakened from within spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side, he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better read than dead. Or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die in his feet. And therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance and the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond wow. which evil must yeah. not advance. In the words of Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.